Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health. Welcome to the podcast, Kyle. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I think the, 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 the first thing that would be interesting to me is to just get a little bit of a sense for your background um, and how you ended up in the seat at Arrive. I know we were talking off camera and off uh, audio that, uh, that you had been at uh, WellTalk when you were young, but that was a while ago. So what got you into healthcare? Was it a passion of yours to first get into healthcare or did you get it by accident? How did you land I, I in the sector? Yeah, I don't know that I ever had a choice. So I, uh, family business was employee benefits broker consultant. And so when I say I was born into it, you know, when I get in trouble in school, my punishment was stuffing enrollment packets. So I don't <laughs> think I ever had any choice but to be in, in this business in, in one form or another. Um, so, you know, grew up in the health insurance business and you know in those days you know when it was you know a couple of hmos in every town that you walk yeah. into type situation and uh came out and worked as a wholesaler for employee benefits companies uh eventually kind of made my way uh, to principal when principal had a health plan and wellness business and that was kind of my transition from traditional the way the health insurance business works to some curiosity about like how do you control or impact cost and health generally uh, and had some really great mentors at principal inside that wellness business of, of it was kind of like a, you know, 50 to 100 person startup inside of the tens of thousands of person financial services companies. So that was kind of the first uh, first startup experience in the safe, sheltered environment of principal financial group, uh, which got me you know curious about that world and digital innovation and how that applies to healthcare. And from there, early employee at WellTalk early employee at a company called Catapult Health that was doing primary care at the work site. Uh, and then, you know, met the, the what became the founding team of, of Arch Review at the time, now Arrive Health, um, and became a part of that original group. And and that's, geez, I'm in year nine. So that's been, been a journey. Nine years goes by fast when you're having fun, right? You know? Yes. <laughs> I guess that's just kind of the pace of play and growing a healthcare business, especially a multi-sided network one. That's cool. Um, so it started out as R R X review. How close to the original vision for the company are you today? Are you on the same path? Did you have to pivot? What uh, what was the evolution of the business? We we've had several pivots. I think the initial spirit of the business is the same. So one of the original founders, guy Kevin O'Brien, he's a doctor in Denver, and what inspired all of this is Kevin's mom came to him and had a massive out of pocket spend for her meds, and Kevin like any good son with the skill set, you know, helped her lower that cost, you know, took the brand and broke it into its generic parts, found therapeutic equivalents, helped her figure out what to pill split and how to pill split and all those things. And so that inspired Kevin to start doing that in his clinic. And so he accumulated this, you know, unwieldy spreadsheet of ways to save on your medication. And that was sort of the initial inspiration for the company. Um, and and where that's still true today is we, what we found early on and still today is the best steward for that information is the prescriber at the point of care. Our goal is get the right information in the right hands at the right time to make a better decision the first time. So, you know, this, you know better than I, this is the only part of our economy where, you know, somebody else is making a purchasing decision on your behalf and neither of you know what it costs until you show up and are asked to pay for it. And so our goal is to change that, right? Reintroduce 
consumer choice at the point of decision and throughout the patient experience. And so uh, in those ways, it's the same vision. It's the same spirit of the business. Now, there's been a hell of a lot of twists and turns along the way, but yep. uh, including what I think we thought initially we'd be a consumer facing API. And, you know, we just faced headwinds of getting data access and, you know, all the things that are uh, obvious from this side of the journey of those chicken or the egg problems that all exist in healthcare when you try and build these network businesses yeah. um, that, you know, the, the consumer facing use case was, was a tough one. Uh, once we moved to the point of care, it was one of those things where, you know, the wind started to feel like it was at your back and we, we could grow. So we, you know, we've been on that journey for, for a number of years. So it, it, just to sort of restate, I think what you said is that there's, it's hard to get a network effect without uh it's hard to get a network effect through just the patient and member itself. You have to either have the provider or the health plan on your side. Yeah. Um, That's right. And uh, and I think a lot of people have come into the business from like a consumerist background and been surprised that they, because, you know, I mean, it's 20% of the economy, but it's also like at the moment you're, you're in a healthcare episode. It's like the most important thing you're doing at that mm-hmm. point in time. And yet it's very difficult to capture uh, the member's attention uh, unless it's being pushed in that direction by the provider or the insurance company. Yeah. 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 It's a, it, to your point around, you know, when you're in it, it's the most important thing in your life. The one mantra we still have around the company is this mantra called Lucy up. And it's kind of our way to sort of say, you know, this is something bigger than us. This matters. And for all these reasons, and the reason it's Lucy up is because Lucy's Kevin's mom's name. So it's still uh-huh. sort of deeply embedded in who we are from a day-to-day perspective is, you know, everybody's got a Lucy in their life or has been the Lucy, right? And had that experience where it was too expensive or it didn't make sense or it was confusing or you didn't know where to fill the med. And that's uh, that's what drives us on a day-to-day basis. So and now I understand RX Review is the original name. So it sounded like the idea was give the consumer the ability to understand where the medicines are and where, how they're broken down and what's the most effective, both from, a, I'm assuming, cost and clinical basis for the treatment uh, or was it principally just cost? We started thinking about this uh, as cost and clinical recommendations. We, you know, real-time benefit as a capability started to get a lot of tailwinds and started to grow really fast. And so today, nearly all of our work is cost and coverage related and not clinically related. Uh, we were, the, the initial product we built, um, the goal was, can we take clinical best practice, put it next to cost? And have kind of a one-click workflow type situation for the provider where we could guide them to the right decision in alignment with the benefits. And in doing so, make the utilization of that tool kind of a gold carding scenario. You know, the goal was, you know, I don't want to be a prior auth company. I want to be a better decision company. How do you how do you get the right decision to that point? Uh, which was, uh, was and still is an, an exciting ambition. I think uh, what happened along the way is real-time benefit took off like a rocket. And we were the best in class at driving provider behavior change. And so our our real-time benefit product became really differentiated because we understood provider behavior. We understood how to do the data exchange really well and started to deliver better results. So today, we're a real-time benefit network with a bunch of other features sitting on top of it. Uh, but that original product was was really how do you take both of them and, right. uh, and think about that differently. So tell so tell me about real time benefit. What it, explain it to explain how that works and um, give us give us a little background on that, so we can understand yeah. what what you've got overlaid on top of that. For sure, yeah. So well, maybe a little uh, a little background on sort of e prescribing generally. 
you know, e-prescribing, when e-prescribing was adopted in the early 2000s, it's basically the only time I can think of where a digital process uh, reduced consumer choice, right? You went from taking a paper script and shopping at any pharmacy you wanted to, to that script being decided at the point of care and routed directly to a pharmacy and you don't find out until you get there. And so, um, you know, e-prescribing 1.0 increased opacity in this industry. And um, and so what real-time benefit does is instead of a blind decision at the point of care or a point or a decision maybe based on sort of generic group and plan level formulary data now becomes real-time patient-specific, moment-in-time-specific pricing information on that drug at your pharmacy today um, in that ordering workflow. Now, uh, that's nice, but maybe not enough because we need to also introduce alternatives. So what comes in real-time benefit uh, natively is drug choices that are in more alignment with the formulary or lower cost pharmacies that are in relationship with the benefit plan. So two examples of those might be, you know, a form of the drug that's preferred, or if there's multiple drugs in a class, one zero dollars, some are going to cost you money. The zero dollar recommendation may be in there. Um, and, you know, the mail order pharmacy might be preferred in the plan design, right? And so we can make a 90 day mail recommendation when they were going to go to, you know, some other retail outlet that would have cost them more money. All that happens upstream of the signature in the e-prescribing process. So the goal before the horse ever gets out of the barn, we're able to help intervene through the EMR system in the e-prescribing workflow of the provider and guide them to a lower cost choice. And that's so that's an interface principally with the provider, right? Yes. And and is it who and who decides that the provider is going to use that interface? Uh, it's either the EMR system themselves or the provider system. The the variability there is, you know, the big ambulatory EMRs or the cloud-based EMRs kind of make a decision based on their product, whereas the, you know, epics of the world, it's a system-by-system system setup. So in those cases, you know, we work with Providence, Mayo Clinic, Jefferson, you know, the big IDNs, they're making those decisions about their system, uh, right. whereas... Uh, you know, we we have an enterprise relationship with Cerner where we reach every Cerner doc, uh, and that's that's through the enterprise Cerner deal. So, can we just go through? I think I understand it, but I just want to just go through sort of a use case. So, I'm I go to the doctor; he's going to prescribe medicines to me. The doctor then goes to do that, and you're and, you, and he does that through your application. Is that is that the way to think about it? Uh, think about us as just the data network that's powering that price transparency feature in. The e-prescribing tool. So we don't route it. We aren't uh, an e-prescribing network per se. We are just intervening on behalf of this, you know, decision support tool on behalf of cost and coverage. And so, what would be the most common e-prescribing tool today? The EMR, or uh, mostly the EMR? Yeah. So the the interface itself is predominantly EMR uh, today, with a couple of exceptions. The network is more more often than not SureScripts and. So the EMR has an interface to SureScripts that then then routes the the prescription to CVS pharmacy to pick a name, yep. um, and then the doctor hands me a slip of paper and says, "Go CVS, your drugs will be ready in an hour." And I go there and I pick up those drugs. And very rarely, if at all, would a patient question the price or the use clinical use of the drug. Right? They don't they don't know anything. Yeah. So. And, and- Historical state, that's true. And and now what we are able to do is say, here's your out-of-pocket cost, uh, and then consider any alternatives that may be there. And, and is that presented can, to the member or to the, prov- to the provider at the time, or both? 
Uh, it's both. So primarily the provider. We're intervening through an interoperative alert in workflow to guide the provider to a cost-optimized decision. Uh, but we can also get it in the hands of the patient in a number of ways, either through SMS, through the after visit summary, through integrating with another digital asset that might be important to the health system. Um, last question: If I'm the, if I'm the man, well, maybe not the last question, but the last question on this part. <laughs> if I'm if I'm the member, do I know that that I, that this service is available to me? Does the doctor have to tell me? How does that work? Um, it is potentially invisible to the member. So our focus is intervening with the provider, okay. uh, and we're the you know we're the data network that populates tools that are used by either providers or members. Uh, we're kind of you know think of us as the BASF in this scenario. And um, okay. that's uh, not something where we're driving direct consumer or provider engagement. We're powering existing tools. Got it. So where do you where do you where do you enter into this? Are you selling to the EMR EMR systems? Are you selling to the health plans? Are, are you selling to the docs? Where does the um, where does the business start for you? Uh, it, so multi sided networks. So we're selling on multiple sides of it at all times. So uh, PBM and payer are important customers to us, as you might imagine. That's the data yeah. source, that's the adjudication engine, and that's all ultimately who benefits in many cases is the risk-bearing entity. Um, at the same time, we're selling on the provider and EMR side. Um, mm-hmm. So think of it as supply and demand, right? So we think of health plan PBM as the supply side inventory of data and connectivity. We think of provider and EMR as the demand side utilization. And our goal is to you know, pair the right supply with the right demand to drive an outcome. Okay. And how does the how does how does the economics then work? Is the payer paying you? Is the payer giving you a hunting license, if you will, to go and sell to the provider so that they'll use um, use your system? How does that uh, work? Primarily paid for by payers and PBM. Okay. Uh, and many many times, as you know, these days that's those are the same. And they'll and they'll require yes these days it is right generally right. speaking and they'll require the providers then to use the service. Um, in some cases they have, in some cases there are incentives tucked into sort of the value based toolkit. If you're using something like real time benefit, they're incentivized to do so. Um, there's been a mix based on payer provider relationship and what network negotiation took place. So how how does those those conversations go with the the payers are they out actively looking for the solution? Is it something that they're seeing as very new and innovative and and piloting it, or are they are they going full force forward with it? And if they are, what value proposition are they recognizing in all this in terms of how much they're saving along the way? Yeah, we're uh, we're kind of into full scale adoption mode um, for this across the industry. A couple of things caused that. Uh, one, CMS passed a Part D rule that requires real time benefit if you're a Part D plan. Um, and do so it. that's been a helpful tailwind. And, um, and so we're, you know, out trying to do our best to to stake our claim there as a result of that. And uh, yeah, that, I think we're past. There was a lot of missionary work in the yeah, yeah. three, four years ago where we were saying, no, 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 here's what, you know, formulary benefit inside of the EMR is. And here's what real benefit is. And here's the difference. I think we've kind of progressed now to a general understanding in the health plan and PBM world of what real-time benefit is and why it's valuable. And now it's saying, no, ours is the best for this reason. And, and part of that is, um, you know, maybe the, not everybody is as well-tooled to hear this nuance as you. 
uh, EMRs and claim systems speak really different languages as it relates to drugs. Yes. And so we've had to build uh, effectively a learning model on top of the tool that that manages that uh, interchange. We describe it as intelligent interchange. So something comes out of the claim system, or excuse me, the EMR is vials. It's got to go into the claim system as milliliters. And it has to then translate back to then uh, accurately render. Effectively, that's the intelligence of the pharmacist. That That's the work they were doing at the point of sale for the last decade, many decades. Uh, we're now doing that in real time through our technology at the point of care. And um, as a result of that, delivering you know, massively better behavior change and, and value to our customers. Because ultimately, if you don't get that exchange right, you miss the opportunity to intervene, right? If you, if that data exchange breaks, it comes back as unknown in the EMR. It gets ignored by the provider. If that, that data exchange is successful, we show a price to the provider. We guide them to lower cost options. We deliver more value. And the, the place where that gets really complicated is in self-injectables, you know, anything that's not a pillar or capsule. So right. cream, inhalers, self-injectables, insulins, all those things that are in that sort of specialty light or specialty category, um, which is where the value is, right? Like if we're going to switch within the, you know, rheumatoid arthritis category, that's a that's a big deal if we get on the right lowest cost uh, branded option for that for that payer. Those, those are high value switches. Whereas if all you're focused on and all you're capable of handling are these kind of pill capsule you know, the, maybe the difference in metformin um, is a lot less valuable than those those bigger ticket items. So that's where we hang our hat, is that we've got this tool that's capable of understanding that complexity. And that complexity is different at every provider system you walk into because it's entirely dependent on how they set up their drug compendium. So hmm. uh, it requires this level of intelligence on top of the tool to really work well. Um, and so that's that's how we're competing and winning today is this, you know, the the incumbents in the space just haven't taken the time to do a lot of that work. And, you know, our focus has allowed us to do that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Every time you sort of set up a particular process, there's always like that, that part of the process that requires a special level of software and intelligence to get, to get you through it. Yep. Um, do you, are you able to like ca uh, calculate or provide data to your customers in terms of how frequently the Physician changes their approach to the prescription and yep. um, what the general um, savings is that you're what you're producing. We do, yeah. Um, I was actually going to pull up. I got some fresh data from that from last week. So the, I think the most compelling thing that we see is about thirty three percent of the time we can guide a provider to avoiding a PA altogether. So there's a non PA option. The, Doc was about to choose something that required a prior off. We can guide them to that non-PA option almost a third of the time. Um, so everybody wins in that scenario. Provider system doesn't have to rework it. Payer PBM doesn't have to administer the prior off. Presumably that's a lower cost med, depending on the scenario. Uh, patient gets on something faster and more compliant. Like that's huge value. Um, in general, outside of those, we're seeing about 20% behavior change as it relates to either drug or pharmacy, right? So we we introduce a lower cost option and workflow uh, when those are present about 19% of the time we're seeing switches. Wow. And does that, does that, do those values change over time once the providers sort of anticipate that, you know, are they, do they then start starting at what would have been your recommendation over time? Do you see it slow down or do you see it stay around the same? Not really, just because the variability is so high. I mean, if you think about, 
you know, it's, it's it's not a world anymore where a doctor can memorize that the Blue Cross Blue Shield patients have these preferences because the MA plans are so variable. Consumer-driven healthcare makes everything so variable. So within the deductible, the prices are going to change. You're you're showing them a in-network negotiated rate that might be different at CVS or Walgreens or mail order. And so I think the variability is just so drastic now that a doctor's not able to memorize it in the way they used to be able to, right? Like 20 years ago, deductibles were in the hundreds, formularies were simple, co-pays were 25 bucks. Today, more than half of health plans are high deductible health plans. Drug cost is more often than not inside that deductible. The you know the simple copay scenario is now a five tier formulary with a co-insurance tier. It's just a it's now a machine problem to solve, and so it's uh and that's only going to get harder, right? Like it's you know Inflation Reduction Act now mandates certain pricing around certain meds, right? Like that just adds another level of complexity to this. And so it's a, it seems to me like it's a ballooning effort and a you know bigger opportunity for us to deliver value, but a harder problem to solve for providers now. Are you, de- are you delivering, I'm, I'm assuming that everything is on the web. Are you delivering, are you cloud on the cloud today? Are you yeah, embedded right. inside? So you're on the cloud. So they, they're blue, calling blue your blue. APIs in the cloud and you're bringing it in. So you can update that pricing and any of that logic on pretty, pretty quickly across your whole network. It sounds like. Yeah, actually everything we do is a real time call. So. Uh, as that encounter is happening with the provider, we make a real-time call to the claim system uh, at wherever it is, whether it's you know Optum or Express or whoever. Uh, we make that real-time call. We get back that real-time decision. Uh, it all happens in less than a second or two in most cases. And so it is to the minute. We actually uh, published something recently where we went live with a new EMR partner and one of the executives from the EMR partner happened to be the person that had this encounter, right? They saw the point of care price, went and got the exact same price at the pharmacy. And yeah. they called us and was like, I, I know you said it was going to be accurate, but I didn't think it was going to be this accurate. Like it's, yeah. it was to the penny. So it's, uh, you know, we're hitting the source of truth, which is, uh, you know, it takes a long time to build that network um, to the earlier chicken or the egg problem, right? It's, those data sources don't really care until you have providers that can move the needle for them. And those providers don't really care until you have data sources. So it, yeah. it takes a while to overcome that challenge. But I think we've we've done that where our, our goal by year end is 150 million of these uh, transactions. And that represents about 25% of US prescribers and almost 20% of US e-prescriptions. So we'll grow that footprint by about 40% this year. Uh, and that should represent, a, you know, almost 100% year-over-year revenue growth. So this okay. is one of the ideas whose time has come. We're uh, we're we're ready to ready to continue to expand. Congratulations, that's fantastic. You never know how quick something is going to take. You know, sometimes it takes a little while, and then when you finally say, "Hey, yeah, we thought we would have done this a long time ago," but now you're there, it feels good, right? And it feels really yeah, good. absolutely. Now it's still one of those things. If you're outside of healthcare, my my wife is in. Uh, a tech banker, generally not in healthcare. And uh, when I described this thing to her, she goes, "That didn't already happen." You know, it's one of the things where, as an industry, you're like, no, that didn't already happen. It's really hard to do. Uh, <laughs> it's very hard. To do. <laughs> um, so, is there a lot of competition for you, or are you kind of paving? Are you kind of paving the way? Um, you know, we're primarily competing against kind of the industry incumbent you prescribing network. Yeah, um, that's that's our primary. Uh, foe at the moment, and yeah, we, we're doing pretty well. Terrific. 
Well, that's fun. Congratulations on it. I mean, I know how hard it is to take over an incumbent uh, uh, system. So after a while, you know, people expect it's going to be you. That's what happens. Yeah, um, yeah I think we've, so, uh, we've definitely proven a market-leading sort of quality and outcome. And now it's just about continuing to scale it. Great. So how, how can people find out more about the company? Your website, um, Twitter? Tell me, uh, tell me how you're talking to the world. Yeah, probably LinkedIn more than Twitter, um, but arrivehealth.com is the website. We've got a team of health to you know just finished today, so we, we're there. Um, we're on the road a good good amount, so you know depending on who your audience is, we'd be happy to come see them, especially if they're health plans or providers. Let me give you one last question, which might be fun. Any advice for entrepreneurs on 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 patience, perseverance, um, sticking with it? Any, anything, anything that, that any, any words of wisdom there? Um, I mean, I think it, leading the witness a little bit, I think all of those things are really important. Um, but I find that the source from the source you're using to motivate patients, perseverance and all those things probably is the most important. And to me, it's, you know, back to the Lucy up story is that when, when you're doing this stuff on behalf of something bigger than yourself and you're focused on the fact that this is actually making a difference. And now that we're going to, we're going to form 150 million of these encounters this year. And that's just mind boggling to me that, you know, we're, we're able to make this level of impact. Yeah. And we, we hear these stories where uh, we've got a provider, kind of our super user at Presbyterian New Mexico is their associate CMIO. He's a great guy. Uh, he told us a story once is that he had a mom in his office and, you know, sick kid getting albuterol. I think many of us have been in those, in those moments. It was going to be a $250 out of pocket med. She was in tears, you know, couldn't afford that. That's literally the grocery bill for the month. And through the tool, he queued up all the orders, figured out that on her health plan, there was a $0 option. He was just looking at sort of, you know, a inhaler and the disc was $0 or whatever the scenario was. And in that moment was able to absolutely solve her problem, right? Like that, if we can do that 150 million times, then the patience and the perseverance is easy, right? If you can keep focused on that. That's right. Keep keep your mission and vision at the forefront. And if it's the right mission and vision, uh, you'll get there, right? Absolutely. Kyle, it's great to meet you. Thanks for the conversation. And uh, yeah, good luck to you and congratulations. It feels like a great business. It really Thank does. You. Appreciate it.